This is a Federal News Network podcast. A U.S. District Court recently ruled that the FBI's terrorist watch list, used in part in airline passenger screening, is unconstitutional, or at least the way the government is using it. Does that render the list useless, or can the government revamp the program surrounding it? For some answers, we turn to Jacques Singer-Emery, editor-in-chief of the National Security Law Journal. Mr. Singer-Emery, good to have you on. Good to be on, Tom. And we should point out that you're not just a mere academic. You are a Harvard Law student, but you also spent some time as advisor to some major law enforcement agencies. Yes, I worked with uh, Commissioner Bratton for a year and a half. Uh, when he was appointed by Mayor de Blasio, and then I moved over to the Counterintelligence, uh, Counterterrorism Bureau in the NYPD, uh, where I was a case analyst two and a half years. All right, so getting to this court, this court case that recently, I think, kind of rocked the world of national security, what precisely did the court rule? Because it didn't sound as if it said you have to throw the list out completely. Correct. Um, so basically, the bottom line is this. The terrorism screening database, or commonly referred to as the watch list, is still in place, and the process by which people are placed on it is still the same. The standards are still the same. The issue is with how people who think they're on the watch list, because currently you cannot know whether or not you have been placed on the watch list. The issue is how you can complain to the government, say you don't deserve to be on the watch list, and contest the fact that you are on the watch list. And it was that process that is run by the Department of Homeland Security's um, Travel Redress Inquiry Program, or TRIP. It is that process that the government ruled um, did not adequately protect individuals' due process constitutional rights. And what is the process that was in place before that ruling? So the process that was in place before that ruling uh, would be that you would suffer significant um, inquiries into your, into your background or, or significant checks when you showed up at an airport, um, you'd have uh, extensive contact with law enforcement sometimes, and then eventually you'd sort of realize, hey, this is not just incidental. These are not just random checks. I, I've been picked up multiple times every time I show up at an airport. I think the government has me on a list, and I think the government is incorrectly has me on this list. You would file a report with the, um, the TRIP program, and then TRIP agents would look into your status. After trip agents looked into your status, you'd receive an email which did not disclose whether or not you were on a list um, and basically say that trip looked into your looked into your status and your status has been resolved one way or the other. They can't tell you. And sort of this process didn't give individuals enough um, ability to look at why they were on that list and say to the government, hey, these things that you have me on the list for are wrong. Um, and here's why. Got it. And the fact of secrecy of who's on the list and whether you get on or off the list, is that part of the law enabling this list? It is not necessarily part of the law enabling the list. The, the list is law enforcement sensitive, but it is not classified. So the, 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 law, the law enforcement agency that runs it, the FBI, and the Terrorist Screening Center, which sits in the FBI and is a joint program run through, through by multiple agencies, that whole system basically refuses to hand out the list. Um, which is important because if they handed out that list, individuals who were major suspects in terrorism investigations and on that list would be able to figure out that they were suspects in investigations and change their activity. So there is a national security imperative to keeping the list secret at some level. Absolutely. And Judge Traga, when he looked at the decision, when he wrote his decision, uh, noticed that and, and, and you know highlighted that fact. Um, but And for that reason, he said, notifying people before they are placed on that list and giving them a challenge to 
to challenge their eventual placement on that list was probably out of the question. He's only looking at people's ability to challenge um, their placement on that list after they have been so placed by the FBI or by another federal law enforcement agency. We're speaking with Jacques Singer Emery, editor-in-chief of the National Security Law Journal. And this case was brought by the Council on American-Islamic Relations. Are most of the people on the list, or I guess we can't really tell, but it seems like Muslim Americans feel like they are unfairly singled out for this list? That may be the case. I can't speak to it because the, the exact individuals who are on that list are very much unknown. Um, but as of 2017, there were 4,600 Americans on that list and 1.2 million other individuals um, on that list. So it's, it's an extensive list that, that comes from uh, a whole range of government, you know, federal government nominations. And some foreign governments who are close allies of ours have probably also recommended that certain individuals be placed on that list. Um, that list is shared with 18,000 U.S. law enforcement um, and, and government agencies, including local and state agencies, uh, as well as with foreign governments and 500 private contractors to help with the private contractors' background screening process. The amazing thing is that it hasn't gotten out in the first place. Yeah, um, but it's pretty closely held, pretty closely, and I think it's uh, it's a it's fairly protected system. So they, they they do recognize how sensitive it is because there are people on that list who are major targets of. Uh, federal law enforcement investigation. So th- there is that serious national security interest to consider. I guess from a practical standpoint, if someone is figures they're probably on the list because of the activities they've actually done, they're actually terrorists, say, for example, they're probably not going to use that identity to try to board a plane anyhow. Well, I, a lot of the identity stuff is not exactly trivial, um, to get through to get through border security, specifically at a U.S. border, you need valid documents. Um, so that that that's a that's a sticky sticky process in of itself. A lot sure. of these networks are not so sophisticated that they have all these sort of backstop documents. Well, so now what can TSA? What can Homeland Security? What can the FBI? What what's their next step here to be able to use the list in a way that they won't get challenged in court? Sure. So right now, they it's sort of waiting on what uh, Judge Trega decides. Judge Trega specifically said, I want both sides, the government um, and the plaintiffs, to brief the issue of what an appropriate remedy is. Um, so right now, the government just has to hold tight um, and basically wait till Judge Trega issues further instructions based off of what he finds uh, the government or the, um, or, or the plaintiffs need, balancing both the national security interests and the and the interests of the individuals whose liberty um, to travel was impinged and infringed um, by this process and their inability to redress it. So we don't know yet. At this point, though, people that are on the list or people that get singled out for the screening, can they do they generally eventually get on board or are they denied flight altogether? They most of the time get on board. It's just the the fact that they will be held for a long period of time in the airport while they are. Um, asked additional questions, their luggage is potentially investigated, um, and, and sort of the, the nature of their travel is, is more thoroughly understood by, by the agents managing the airport. The one thing I should say, though, is that um, Judge Traga did look at um, a, the no-fly list case. So as I stated before, the no-fly list is not the same as the watch list, but the no-fly list was challenged um, starting in 2010 and all the way, and it was a case that ultimately is continuing, um, was challenged in a District of Oregon court. And Judge Trago looked at that case 
and said, oh, the remedies there might be applicable here, and specifically asked the government and the plaintiffs to brief that remedy um, and talk about whether or not that, that, would be, that that's the way he should go. And what that remedy basically was, ultimately the court ordered that the government should tell the plaintiffs that whether or not they were on the no-fly list and give them an opportunity to challenge that. So once they were placed on the no-fly list, um, over, after a period of time, they would receive a notice and then they would challenge that uh, they would challenge what the government had told them was the reason for placing them on that list. And that remedy is in place now. That remedy is being is in place now. However, it was challenged by the ACLU as not um, sufficient. So the ACLU has taken that case from the district court to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, um, where it is arguing that uh, that its clients still are, are not meeting the due process standard required. Sounds like there's a little bit of jurisdiction shopping going on because Oregon and the Ninth Circuit, you're going to get a different ruling perhaps than you might get in one of the southern districts. It's possible, but I should add that um, Judge Traga, Tom, is no President Obama judge, as President Trump likes to say. Judge Traeger was appointed by Bush and does not reflexively rule for plaintiffs in national security cases. He's rule, he ruled for the Trump administration um, in an early case traveling the, tra- uh, the travel ban, and he is generally supportive of the government's secrecy assertions. He fully explores this view, actually, in the ninth issue of the fall volume of my journal, National Security Journal at Harvard. I guess my point is uh, that, that uh, Judge Traeger is a very conservative judge, and he still came out um, the, in a way that seems very similar to the Oregon court. Jacques Singer-Emery is editor-in-chief of the National Security Law Journal. Thanks so much for joining me. Pleasure, Tom. Thank you for having me on. Find a link to this interview and to his article at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.